The Third Man Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Everybody, welcome back to the Third Man Podcast, Jack White Third Man History Program. I'm your co-host Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host James Kaminsky. And uh, like Santa Claus himself, once a year, sliding down our podcast chimney. Thank God you didn't call it a podcast <laughs> hole. <laughs> is Third Man Records co-founder, co-owner, and all-around good guy. Mr. Ben Blackwell is back with us. Am I the most frequent guest on this podcast? I think no. you and you and Co are tied, Co, and, yeah. and Co's coming back for another one. Wow, she yeah. have half as much to say as I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, if we're going to continue the podcast chimney analogy, you uh-huh. are the literal fire in the chimney under our asses that is keeping us, um, yeah, from you know being the worst Santas we could be. I don't understand this analogy anymore. Where am I going with this? Anyway, hi, Ben. Hi, how's it going? Miss you guys. <laughs> we, we miss you too. What a year it's been. We're all freezing cold in our respective mm-hmm. locations at the moment, but Ben was kind enough to join us once more for a third man year in review episode where we kind of go over the, the highlights 
of things that happened in uh, Third Man Records and said Third Man Records orbit over the calendar year 2022. We've done this last couple years and it's always a hoot and it's a way better than us trying like stumbling through and not getting everything right. So we appreciate you having you here, Ben, to correct us. Although I will say our quality has gone up drastically. Good. <laughs> um, it's laughable to me, but also <laughs> <laughs> we will start here. Well, why don't we start? Let's we'll start at the beginning. January sixth. Where were you? Jan- <laughs> I'm just kidding. All three people talking right here have suspicious enough beards. <laughs> I can see you all on Zoom. This is <laughs> it's true. None of us are currently wearing masks, which is kind of saying a lot. <laughs> ben was storming Capitol Records uh, at the time. <laughs> um, no, but let's start at the top here. So the Carol King Vault, Ben, yeah. uh, was a great one this year. That was announced in January 2022. And I must say... You know, I'm a fan of Carol King's writing of certainly like most human beings. I am especially interested in like the things she did with the monkeys and stuff like that. But I was really kind of unfamiliar beyond sort of the hits with her just in general as a solo artist. And so it was really interesting to get this live collection. And was it a DVD or a Blu-ray? It was one of DVD. Like, DVD um, of this uh, of this concert she had performed in the early 70s and obviously coordinating releases with legendary artists is no new thing with Third Man and certainly not the only one to happen this year but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, you know how long maybe this was in the pipeline what was it like coordinating a release like this I feel like my first phone call about that setting that up was the day before we opened, or the day before I flew out to London for the London opening. Wow. So that's September, I guess, uh, to, to give you guys an idea of how far in advance we have to prep vault packages. Yeah. I mean, it used to, it used to be like, hey, we got uh, we to gotta announce a vault next week. What are we doing? Like, ah, <laughs> out. Give, me, give me 20 minutes. And have an ad mat and the audio already, and then we're like, we, we'd call it. Um, and we wouldn't start any manufacturing until we had all of our subscribers. And now it's like, no, you gotta, you gotta plan so far ahead. Interesting. That's a gamble right there. Yeah. Well, it's, it's part of the extended lead times that you got to deal with. So that was a combination of deal, talking with uh, Lou Adler, who has uh, produced a lot of Carol's, you know, her quintessential solo work. So I, I'm not entirely sure of how the, the separation of rights was, but I think he maybe owned the film footage but Sony owned the rights to the audio because she was under contract in their world at that time. So it's kind of like, you know, mutual negotiations talking to both different parties. And, and Lou Adler is just, I don't know if anyone, if you guys know who he is, he's just a fucking badass. He's, uh, uh, you know, he managed Jan and Dean uh, yeah. early on. He was a producer um, for a bunch of the Mamas and the Papas hits. He became a film producer. He produced Cheech and Chong's Up the yeah. Smoke. The Rocky Horror Picture Show, too, apparently. Yeah, yeah. He's, wow. he's kind of one of these great countercultural guys. And he's, I think at this point, uh, or at any point, um, he's maybe like three years younger than my grandma. Um, <laughs> I always relish in these moments, personally, if we're just talking about me, where I get to, where I get to just talk to people who I have no business 
crossing paths with. It just feels like, wow, they're like, like we are so separated in terms of just worlds and decades and all that stuff. Yeah. But him and his team and, and the folks involved understood what we could bring to the table in regards to exposing a wider audience to these, the, the brilliance of Carol King. Not enough people know how brilliant she is. A lot of people do, but I think maybe even people in the third man orbit do not. That's what third man does best is with their vault releases that are not Jack White related, they introduce people to music that they might not normally be willing to or at least looking into buying those albums on their own. And then it can spark something new and fresh with that. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's also cool when you've got a, you know, watching the, LA Dodgers in the, you know, baseball playoffs and you see a super hip, you know, 88 year old <laughs> guy wearing a fucking Kangol, like right behind home plate. Like, That's right. Fucking Lou hanging out right there. <laughs> you get to ask him about the game the next day, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, just a, a pleasure to work with and deal with and still on top of it, man. I hope I have half of the acumen or just the awareness that he does so far into the game. What a mensch. I have often asked myself the reason for the sadness in a world where tears are just a lullaby. If there's any answer, maybe love can end the madness, maybe not all, but we can only try. There's some real unrealistic age standards being set right now that I'm kind of angry about because I know I'm not going to live up to them. You know, like Carol King still kicking, same age as McCartney, he's still kicking. You know, it's like, I when do we get to rest? Is what is what I'm saying. They're artists, Paul. I think the takeaway is if you have the ability to rest whenever you want, that's probably the greatest motivation to not rest. I'd heard through the grapevine someone saying to Bob Dylan, you know, uh, in light of the uh, the never-ending tour, you know, and someone said, Bob, why don't you just take a summer off? 
And you know, this is all conjecture, hearsay, you know, friend of a friend kind of thing. I said, I'm scared if I stop touring, I'll never want to go back on tour. I was like, wow, man, that's a pretty wild thing to think of. That could be cool. What? Yeah, I'm upstairs. What's the problem? Listen, I'm on a semi-important call. <laughs> what are you doing? If I hear one peep, Christmas is canceled. <laughs> Do you think Bob Dylan kept in touch with the soy bomb? Yeah, probably not. No. <laughs> You know that they've – do you ever look that footage up? You know they reshot it like they did a second take for posterity so that that guy wasn't in it. I'm pretty sure – or at the very least, they re-edited it. So if you pull it up on YouTube, you can find an official Grammy-hosted video of it on YouTube. It has no Soy Bomb guy, but you can – if you search a little deeper, you can find the Soy Bomb guy in it. Man. Um. Yeah, so anyway, unrealistic standards. Uh, Music's biggest night, guys. <laughs> Let's talk about Love is Selfish, which was debuted on January 14th. And the first, I guess you could call it the first A-side single from Entering Heaven Alive to reach our ears this year. And I got to ask you, you know, after experiencing the evolution of Jack's music you know, not just firsthand, but probably more intimately than most over the last, let's call it 10 years. What was your first, what your first reaction to hearing Love is Selfish for the first time? So it's, that's a, a difficult question because I don't necessarily hear things in the same order everyone else hears them. So True. you guys hear Take Me Back, Take Me Back Gently. And then you you hear, oh, let's see, someone's ringing the doorbell. Maybe I locked my wife out. I'm not sure. <laughs> Is the back door latched? <laughs> oh, this is all staying in the broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my personal reaction on Love is Selfish, I liked, it felt like a, companion piece personally to love interruption mm. i thought you know, it felt kind of from the same inspiration Understand, and I'm trying my best to help. 
subdued it felt yeah like it felt like it was restrained in a like impressively restrained like you're, you're expecting like oh i know what it's gonna do i know where he's gonna go from here you're expecting some some bombast or some yeah some monumental change of key or something like that and it's a little bit more laid back like that that felt good you had mentioned that Obviously, you don't listen to the tracks in the same order we're listening to them in. Were you one of the few who heard the two albums kind of put together? Because I know it was said that in an interview somewhere, Jack was playing it, I think, to Ben Swank and somebody else. I'm not sure. But like the two albums kind of together and then decided, I think it was Dominic Davis, that you decided to split them into the two albums separately, Fear of the Dawn more extreme stuff and whatever. Did you listen to them put together or did you listen to the track lists after they were separated? No, definitely heard, like heard, you know, as things were being recorded, it wasn't like, you know, it was all being mm-hmm. recorded at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think Jack has gone, has said in interviews, like as he was recording, it, he's like, you know, it kind of feels like there's two different moods here. So I'd kind of heard everything, you know, kind of as it comes in, yeah. here's a, here's a, slow down temple thing here's this big huge bombastic thing so i didn't hear it presented as two okay. different albums okay but probably like you know sometimes i just like share a song oh okay that's a cool song and then you have a moment where you listen to more than one thing at a time or in a session in a, in a listening hey sit down and we'll listen to a couple of songs it kind of was like early on it seemed like he's like eh, this might be two different things i'm not sure yet you know because he had there was so much mm-hmm. to work from Mm-hmm, yeah. So, so that was definitely kind of in the back of, back of his mind or back of my mind. I don't know. So it's it's like you're hearing a bunch of different stuff. Like, oh, that sounds cool. Is there a rock album? There's a more Sunday yeah. morning album. Yeah. I don't know. It's not really a compelling answer for me. But <laughs> that's right. Well, let's talk a bit about the video if you want, because it was shot in the American Legion or VFW Hall or something like that in Nashville. American Legion, yeah. American Legion. Uh, what what was the thinking behind the location, and were there any kind of tricky circumstances to filming there? I mean, it was it's nice because it was a location that kind of had a nice uh, calm demeanor. It was it felt timeless and empty to a point, and had a lot of doors that he couldn't find his way out of, which I like. Yeah, there was and, there was a couple of different ideas floating around. And as someone who doesn't doesn't really make videos or doesn't really get involved, uh, you know, producing them or whatever, I don't have all the insight. But that just felt like someone had the idea of the treatment and someone had the idea of the location. And it was like, oh, wow, we can pull – it could be pulled together really quickly mm-hmm. and uh, not without a lot of heavy lifting. So it it was fitting or or it made sense for that. Yeah. Yeah. Love is such a selfish thing. It's always crying me, me, me. Trying to mess up all my plans And I work real hard to make you understand Now it's a great video and, and that song, it's funny you said Love Interruption I kind of heard 
love is the truth in there somehow, almost like a companion to that. I mean, I heard a lot of little bits. There's a picking style in that song that we hear him do from time to time. So at once felt familiar, but then there's that middle eight that really diverges where it's like what you're saying, you think it's going in a direction then it really sparks in this other place and you get these, this brushwork and these symbols It's a really beautiful track. Hey, J- James, who taught Paul about middle eights? What the hell's going on? Like you guys are like, <laughs> Sound like you know what you're talking about. What happened? Um, no more, no more funny me. TV exploder voices. What's going on? Guys, what the, I thought it was all. I thought you guys it, were just like bozos. You guys are like uh, real, real podcasters now. What's going on? Listen, it's been like six years. I mean, we're we're, we're in it, baby. We're in it. The the one thing I do remember about love is selfish is that I thought. You know, sometimes, you know, when, when you get shared a song in my position, let's say, and, and I do that with raised eyebrow air quotes, like what the hell even is my position in this regard, part of it is like you kind of got to throw some flags out there like, hey, do you know this maybe sounds like blah, blah, blah. And most of the time it's like, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but it's totally it's different key, different meter, different tempo, blah, 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 whatever, all that stuff. But the one thing I thought was I, I saw a similarity to the finger picking intro of Green Day's Good Riddance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, but uh, I think I was the only one that had any real like uh, everyone else was like, oh, no, it's it's not, re-, you know, yeah, but no. Um, so that was one thing that uh, that stuck out to that for me. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road Time grabs you by the rest, directs you where to go Love is such a selfish thing It's always crying me, me, me It's always trying to mess up all my plans And I work real hard That's interesting, yeah it's, it's actually really awesome, though What you're describing is something so many people who are rock stars don't have, which is people who will talk honestly to them, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, just, it, just in that regard, like, Hey, uh, does this sound like anything? Like, yeah, it's, it's no one can be a complete music encyclopedia. There's another song. It was, uh, something off of entering heaven alive. There's a song. Oh, if I die tomorrow has the stairway to heaven. Uh, yes. That's what yeah. I was, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, uh, so I, I I flagged that, and it's like, yeah, it's not really, but like, you know, you're just kind of, all right, it's, just making sure I don't want, I don't want, you know, a lawsuit yeah. to, you know, thankfully, <laughs> way to heaven is accused of ripping off enough I'm songs. Just gonna say, right, yeah. yeah, that Led Zeppelin can't ever really sue someone for supposedly ripping that off. Yeah, that that's from the famous uh, Supreme Court case, uh, Pot versus Kettle. Um. <laughs> well it was a great if you've ever seen that uh gone into the actual legal proceedings on that case of whatever it is page plant jones and bottom v the estate of randy california who is the guitar player in spirit whose song taurus they claim they ripped off part to for Stairway to Heaven and like Spirit opened for Led Zeppelin the year before the song came. Like, there's enough connections. Yeah. 
go into the actual legal proceeding, it's great because the lawyers for Zeppelin just like, all right, here's a, they just like played five different songs in court that all have the same, like almost the exact same chord progression, finger picking approach, whatever. And one was, I forget the name of the song, something, the shads or something, some like fifties British thing. And when I heard that, I was like, well, shit, man, case closed. There's no way you can claim, <laughs> spirit can claim that they just came up with this, whatever. Yeah. That old jackfish swimming up the stream Asked that jackfish what did he mean Baited my wolf So it is kind of the, uh, that idea that, you know, there's no, no such thing as a new song. You know, it's all, you know, there's only so many notes and... yeah. You know, there's only so many notes. It works in the context of the song. I was actually sitting there going, where the hell have I heard this before? But actually, I'm really happy it had that moment because in a song so fucking sad, it's a nice little bit of like familiarity and warmth in the midst of a very dark and cold idea that even if it was unintentional, I'm happy he was channeling that because it lets you off the hook a little, you know? (laughs) <laughs> yes we all just want to be off the hook once in a while <laughs> <laughs> well i want to talk about fear of the dawn here so and this is my question is about a single selection process because i think james and i come down the same on this track where uh, the the song fear of the dawn where that song as a single i think because it is so short and because it is so punchy I mean, it's indicative of the album, but it was a strange choice, I think, to us for as a single. Whereas in the context of the album and him playing it live back to back with Taking Me Back, it almost works like an epilogue. Like those two yep. in my brain go hand in hand. That was the original idea. It was kind of like they're the same song, but separated or whatever. You know, it wasn't, I never really was uh, understanding of them as separate ideas. They were, you know, together but just separated for separation purposes does that make sense you understand what i'm saying yeah i'm agreeing with you yeah Uh, so well i guess so what goes into the single selection process and what was the thought behind that was it like i mean obviously there was a uh, faith in the song uh, well well yeah let's well let's take two steps back so the idea was that i don't know if we stayed through this the whole time but you know we started with taking me back backed with taking me back gently so it was an actual single backed with a song from from the opposing album that was not going to be a single for the B-side. Right. So then we followed that up with um, Love is Selfish with Fear of the Dawn's the B-side, right? Okay, so Fear of the Dawn wasn't going to be a, a proper single. When I say proper, like yeah. sent to radio and, and all of that stuff. It did have a video, um, right. which was more so based on like you know our, our ability to DIY shit. Um, mm. And then the next single was Heidi Ho with Queen of the Bees. Yeah, Queen, Queen of the Bees. Bees on the B side. Yeah. yeah. So a song off of the opposing album that wasn't going to be a a focus track single. And then I lose track of what we did after that. I think uh, if I die tomorrow was maybe after that. But um, I guess what threw me was the video because the B side traditionally doesn't <laughs> doesn't have a video accompaniment. So yeah, that maybe that's what threw me there. Yeah, yeah. So sitting out there. Yeah. So that that does become a conversation of 
okay, we're putting something out. We're giving it a video. Are people thinking this is a single? Well, it's the B side of a single. And, you know, the lead up that we have from when we announced everything to when, think about it, when Entering Heaven Alive actually came out, what's that lead time? Eight months or something like that? It's pretty protracted. The album cycle started about two weeks after the London opening, I think. Yeah. And that was taking it back. So, yeah, so there's there's all... um, you know, that you're taking that into account of what, what comes when and how are you properly spacing everything. And there's also things that you can't predict of like, you know, and your radio promotion team is like, Hey, uh, they're still playing, uh, love is selfish. Like we, we can't <laughs> go with another single yet, or we've got to go with a different single because the, the single we are thinking of is going to infringe on the other one. You know, it's going to stop this thing from being played. So let's think of something else, like all this different stuff that's kind of, uh, it, it's kind of like, you know, I wouldn't say it's chess, but maybe it's checkers. on to uh, one of the next releases in February, which is Bobby Weir and the Wolf Brothers. Speaking of legendary collaborations in February, you guys released a live album with Bobby Weir and the Wolf Brothers live in Colorado. Bobby is obviously a Grammy-winning founding member of the Grateful Dead, but the Wolf Brothers also have Grammy-winning producer and musician Don Was. Was, excuse me. <clears throat> I'll blame the flu that I currently have. Detroit native. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dead and Company drummer Jay Lane and the Dead's longtime keyboardist Jeff Kementi. Did I get that one? Uh, sounds right. Okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, Third Man is renowned for for like high quality live recordings, uh, which uh, we in the last year in review just kind of glossed over the uh, the really good Stooges <laughs> one you guys did. <laughs> wow, Much yeah. to your chagrin. Kind of good record. It was a great record, uh, but can you tell us it, it? It inspired us to look further into the Stooges. So, if there's any silver lining in that, it we, we really right. dove deep. But can you tell us how you guys and Bobby hooked up to get this package put together? How did that come about? I think it may have come from Don was. I think Don is the connection because there's there's some other synergies going around with him being a Detroit guy and other projects that we've worked on together. I think that was him maybe steering towards us of like, Hey, I think this idea would make sense with third man. I could be totally wrong on that, but I think that's how it came about. Busted flat in Baton Rouge Waiting for a train Eyes feeling near as faded This is my jeans 
Bobby flagged the diesel down Before it rained Took us all the way to New Orleans I took my harpoon out of my dirty red bandana I was blowing sides all about the same I mean, it's nice to know that some of these larger names are going to a label like Third Man, which is a larger label at this point. I mean, it's nice that we're getting all of these industry giants, like people from the dead, <laughs> going. To, and Paul McCartney. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's wild to me, seeing where it came from to where it is now. Yeah. Uh, we, we are fans. They buy CDs. So cool by me. Now, was there uh, at all a conversation about also throwing a pot leaf into that one as well? <laughs> only ever for sleep. That was only one, only one pairing that could ever be for. Only one. <laughs> sleep Years fans. Sleep fans will also buy a record, it seems. They will buy a record. They love buying records. Well, let's talk about buying records. So in March, Jack had a little little statement for the majors out there to get off their asses and pitch in. I was curious if you guys ever had any response from that, or if that's not something you can talk about, that's fine too. But it was a very direct and honestly fair assessment of what the music industry is now and there are some people out there not doing their fair share <laughs> well it was, it's funny because i questioned that idea to me uh, and that he was he had thought um that he really wanted to, to focus on that this is third man pressing third man records pressing plant that i built and opened in 2017 using my own money it's 2022 now and it's no longer a fad Vinyl records have exploded in the last decade, and their demand is incredibly high. A small punk band can't get their record for eight to ten months. And I now ask the major labels, Warner Brothers, Universal, and Sony, to finally build your own pressing plants again. As the MC5 once said, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. Thank you. I was like, okay, cool, whatever, you know. And uh, I didn't pay it so much attention, and he was up in Detroit where they ended up filming that vignette about the major labels should build their own pressing plants. And like while they're filming, I got like a email or phone call or whatever, like, Hey, can you help out with this idea? You know, help flesh this idea out. What are the points that we need to consider? And I was like, Oh yeah, this is, you know, this is my wheelhouse and kind of quick collab. Consider yeah. this, 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 and this. Oh, okay, cool. Whatever. And didn't think much of it. And then when it got time to like, all right, we're going to put this out there. Like I was like, Hey, um, Jack, I, I don't think any majors are going to open pressing plants. Like just being honest with you, being, being frank, like, yeah, like it kind of seems like a, you know, a thankless request. And Jack says, Oh, I don't expect any, I don't expect them to do it. I, I, I know that yeah. he said, but I have a position where I can at least call them out and tell them that they should and let everyone else know that they should. Like, he's like, I'm in this position. I want to use my position to help 
to help all of us do this. And so he says, like, oh, okay. You you like, like I was like, we didn't we didn't have prior to that, we didn't have any moments to actually sit and theorize about all of this. Right. Is it a failure if no pressing plants are opened by major labels in light of this? And that, no, that's not a failure. The idea is that you're having the conversation, you're continuing the conversation. And always great to just call out multiple multi billion dollar companies um, <laughs> that you have to work with in many, many different ways. That's always, always <laughs> a great idea. But no, but I'm, I'm saying that like, you got to consider you. Um, I talked to some people at, at major labels who were like, why, why do you want us to do it? We're just going to fuck it up. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. That seems like you're just that, letting yourself that, off. Yeah. That's like the person in the married couple who's like, I can't do the dishes. I'm, I'd just be bad at it. Like, I'm just gonna do them wrong. I'm just so gonna do them wrong. Gonna... I, where do they go in the ceiling and the washing machine? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. you know, to all that point, in light of that statement, there were lots of people who reached out to me about it. None of them from major labels who were saying, I want to make, a, I, I want to build a pressing plant. And I hear from people like that in that sim, in similar positions or that position. Often. And I have to tell them, they're like, you know, usually it's like, we've got money and we love music. And it's like, okay, but do you love like paperwork? Do you love (laughs) systems? Do you love like being organized? And do you love like, you know, investing in your company for four years before you make a profit? Do you love that stuff? Um, And some people get it. Some people don't. I'm trying to think of the best way I can say this without being too revelatory. There's a very big company in our sphere, let's just say, general Mm -hmm. sphere, that reached out to me and said, hey, we saw the message. Maybe there's something we can do in this realm. And so I took a meeting with this person. And they're like, what are the ideas, whatever? And and it was ultimately like, "Uh, I don't think you guys should get involved in this. Mm -hmm. I'm for more people building pressing plants and huge companies theoretically building pressing plants. I'm into that, but just the, the thoughts behind this particular company and what it could have been was just like, yeah, maybe you don't need to. And this is also in light of United record pressing, which is here in Nashville. Right. They put, or in the process of putting 50 new presses online. That's great. That's great. Yeah. And also in town, there's a new pressing plant being built, National Record Pressing, that I think is minimum 18 presses that they're putting online. Vinyl Me Please is building a new pressing plant. Oh. And MoFi building a pressing plant. There's a lot of people building pressing plants. Is there a new supplier for the pressing equipment? Because I know that that was a big problem when you guys were setting up, was finding the actual equipment. When we started out, we were only aware of one manufacturer of new pressing equipment that was a company in germany called new build mm-hmm. and right now there's a minimum of three oh. so it's new built and then there's viral tech in canada and then there's phoenix alpha in sweden and so there's some other plants too so gz which is a, a plant in the czech republic that also has outposts uh they have an outpost in canada they have an outpost in memphis and then National Record Pressing is also GZ related. GZ has their own proprietary press that okay. they they use only in their. It's not not like you could go and buy one. So gotcha. they have that ability that's kind of outside the bigger sphere of what 
is available for some, you know, just Joe Schmo off the street. So yeah, so those manufacturers are making more presses than ever. There's this vinyl conference called Making Vinyl that was in Nashville this year. And one of the guys who was around this guy, Chad Cassum, who runs a plant in Salina, Kansas called Quality Record Pressing. And he came up to me. Um, so this, this is like vinyl suppliers, vinyl pressers, jacket manufacturers, just anyone in the vinyl sphere will kind of be at these. Nerdle handler. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is, there's kind of meet and greets, you know, you connect with folks and all this stuff. And this guy, Chad, who I've, you know, been, talked to, he's a, he's a solid guy. He was at the third man plant opening in Detroit. Love him. He came up to me at this, this thing. He's like, you seem like this talking about third man not me specifically but he was like you guys seem like the smartest motherfuckers in the world right about now <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean he's like you got all these people building plants he's like they all should have built building plants five years ago like you were because they got five years of figuring out how the hell to do this shit and you're already five years ahead of them I was like, yeah, it actually is kind of smart. Like these guys, it's not, <laughs> the first couple of years aren't easy. So that feels nice. And, you know, pretty soon in the next few years, you saw these record store days starting to have lines around the block and major labels getting involved. But it's still at the time people think, oh, this is cool. Vinyl's coming back for a minute. It's a little bit of a fad. Well, that's not a fad anymore. That was 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And now you got Taylor Swift pressing nine different variants of her album on vinyl. You know, Olivia Rodrigo, Adele, Paul McCartney, whoever. Everybody's doing multiple variants of their record, which is amazing. You get one at Target, you can get one at, you know, online or Amazon or something like that. But it doesn't matter. You're turning people on to something interesting and that they can get involved with and get deeper into the music. So... It's time now for labels, the major labels have to rebuild those plants again that they once had, you know, and because the demand is so high and it's only independent people like myself who own small plants who can handle that demand and, you know. I think I was six months, I, I put out a record two years ago, I think I was six months from... Yeah, you're looking at ten now. Well, I was told, like, I thought... Probably was, when you did it, it was six. Yeah, yeah. and I was, it's, it's gotten out of control how long it takes to get a, a record pressed, right? Yeah, that used to be four or six weeks. So what was the moment you decided to yourself like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna get up and kind of challenge the label. It uh, started about a year ago. I kind of thought this is getting a little bit ridiculous now. I almost thought about going and having sit-down meetings and, and trying to do something together with the majors, with Third Man. Like maybe we can build our own plants together. Yeah. But I think that's it's, it's just way easier for them to just do it. They got more money than you know. It'd be nothing for them. It's nothing, you know, a billion dollar company. This is, it's not that big of a deal. But I think that there maybe we're just, just too much in the mindset of the 10 years ago where it was maybe thought of as a fad. Let's move on then from that to Lola Kirk in April. Because in April, you guys released an LP, Lady for Sale, with the wonderful actress and musician Lola Kirk, who we had the pleasure of chatting with. And I will say, I had a worse location chatting with her than I do with you. I'm currently in my basement, and there I was in my car in the parking lot at work. So, yeah, um, I was peeing <laughs> into a bottle the whole time. It was really weird. <laughs> um, but from a third man perspective, what was the process of bringing this record to life? Because 
Lola has a following from her acting and her music. Is there additional prep work or expectation attached to this release? You know, what's funny for me is that it just, it felt more like just working with, you know, I didn't know Lola before she was signed to Third Man, but because she kind of, we have mutual friends and, you know, we have, you know, our orbits cross in kind of multiple other ways, kind of just felt like, oh yeah, you're just putting out a, a record with this person who lives in town and does her music. And it, it felt like, yeah, that's what we do. We put out records by, by people who make good music and live in town and, and you have mutual friends. Right. You need to remind yourself or like, oh, no, 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 this is way more than that. Like, this isn't just like, you know, uh, this isn't how you ran your little bedroom label when you were 20 years old. This is like an actual <laughs> big deal. And, and these, these people, because to me, it's all, it's more so about like those personal relationships of like, you know, Lola would be by the office all the time, which is, which is great when you have an artist that lives in town. Yeah. It's so great of like, Hey, come on in and you're going to do a Instagram Q and a, or you're going to go, uh, you're going to have an interview there, or you're going to, do a, a small performance for the folks at Apple Music. They're going to come into the office. You're going to play in the Blue Room stage, like stuff like that. Our headquarters is a great kind of home field advantage to have to do a lot of that stuff. Uh, and it's just great. More, more you can interact with an artist and informally interact with them, at least from the label side. It's the connection and your abilities to kind of like, oh, I know I can make this connection of how we can help focus on that aspect of the campaign. I wish all of our artists lived in Nashville for, for that purpose alone. It just makes things simpler and, and I think more successful. The big pushes Third Man has done, I don't think there's one of them where I was just like, yeah, that's kind of bullshit. Like Lola Kirk, I really had no conception for music. Like I had watched Mozart in the Jungle and stuff, but like I, I had no idea like she was even making music. And Lady for Sale is a damn fine record, you know. And this is it's a in a tradition of like your Natalie Bergman's or even Margot Price, where you're just like. Oh yeah, these all make a lot of sense uh, as they go, and it seemed like she got one of those pushes, which was great. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. So let's move on to Fear of the Dawn here. Now, this obviously, we could talk all day about both records that came out this year, but I guess what I wanted to ask you, James, and I just did an episode where we examined the critical response to all five at the time of this recording Jack White solo albums across music magazines, sort of old school music magazines, newer websites, and then sort of entertainment sphere, just to kind of see what they thought of Jack's whole deal since 2012, just to kind of get a snapshot of it. And what we found was that for a while, they only talked about the White Stripes, 
And then at a certain point, they start to only talk about boarding house reach. <laughs> and that becomes a demarcation point in either people who thought he went too far or people who thought, oh, good, this is the new direction. So I want to talk about Fear of the Dawn. And I wanted to ask, is that thinking ever in your minds when you're approaching these things? Like when you're looking at this, at a new campaign around a new Jack White solo album, are you looking at the last one? Are you reacting at all to what your perception of what fans want, what critics want, what listeners want? Is that, does that ever factor in at all? Or is it purely, no, this is what we're doing. We're going full steam. I think if there is a reaction, it, it's maybe just like, it would be, it would, I think, almost imperceptibly from my, from my, from yeah. my perspective. Nothing we're doing with, well, let me say, like, for example, on Boarding House Reach, the only variant we did was a vault package. Yeah. Maybe somewhat in response to that. Somewhat. May I give you like 10%? Is like, we definitely had comments from retail of like, it would have been nice if we had something we could have pushed. Yeah. And that's, noted understood not like we didn't know that but we chose to super serve the vault fan base on that one and so with fear of the dog on and Eternal alive we did a 180 we're like we're not going to do a vault package we'll have a variant available just for vault members for those folks that want to get it but we'll also do a rough trade exclusive we'll also do an indie exclusive we'll also do a third you know you know etc 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 if I'm nitpicking, that's necessarily a response as much as, okay, we did this thing and we know we are aware of the the pros and cons of it. And so we maybe rethink our approach moving forward. Mm. That's not necessary. I don't think that's a straight response, but like anything you do, you, you, you live and learn from your experience. A retailer's complaining is nothing new, I guess, but like that was a number one record. So what were they complaining about? Like, yeah, (laughs) Indie retail is good at one thing, complaining. <laughs> I'm joking to all the indie retailers on the Man podcast. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that I mean we were gonna ask about that, about the about the no vault uh, version of it, but Well there was a vault version, it just wasn't a vault package. Yeah, there the, was like the box yeah. and the thing. Yeah. And the, yeah. Well, there was, yeah, the, the uh, screen printed cover and all That's that right. stuff. It was Lou, yeah. um, which yeah. is gorgeous. If you're a vault uh, member and you, and you wanted one that no one else could get, you could still get it. Yes. It just wasn't automatically sent to you. Plunk down the money yet? Or are you still just uh, 
Just uh, lime wire. <laughs> I, I had to cancel. All uh, right. Wow. It's you on open sorry. packages. I save them for Christmas. Every year I save them for Christmas morning when I and then I open them. Money is a little tight uh, at this point in my life. Well, so, stop uh, having I'm kids, just, man. I'm just I'm big sorry. dog and James over here. It's actually yeah. 700 bucks, dude. That's like, <laughs> it's like 10 years of vault packages. Which of these has the pot in it is what I want to know. Is <laughs> Not, None of them. <laughs> that your response to speaking going back to the to the weed leaf your response to that to somebody online like why aren't you like selling these to everybody your response of just like that's criminal <laughs> Literally, that's that's a federal crime <laughs> you can buy it here or you cannot buy it that's the i love i appreciated that it's it was it's it was interesting you know in in, in certain contexts you're like yeah we can do this and like we're not going to make a lot of them. We could sell out of them super quick. Like, we just do it, you know, just, just, you know, ask for forgiveness. If you have to, don't ask for permission. <laughs> That's usually the approach, you know, yeah. when you're seeing thousands of, uh, you know, helium balloons with flexi discs attached. <laughs> do you notify the FAA or you just let it fly? <laughs> this was the first one where it was like, you know, now as co-owner, I feel a little bit more like my ass is on the line. Yeah. Liability general is general employee, yeah. whatever, I could maybe get away with more. But so so yeah, I, I mean I'm not kidding. We had like multiple, multiple meetings and conference calls and like engagements with like the Michigan cannabis board or whatever the, the regulatory agency is. And we, it was funny. We had all these concerns about like what we thought the issues were. And ultimately when it comes together, it's like, Oh no, the, uh, their main issue is, well, you're not selling anything to be smoked. Like you're not selling marijuana for consumption. So they don't really care. Their other big concern was like, and as long as you're not marketing it towards kids, we're fine. I hear that's what Brittany Griner had when she entered Russia. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like, Oh wow. So they don't care. Like, I mean, obviously, there's no THC in the leaf. Um, it's all in the flower, so we only use leaves. And it was rendered innate by being smashed between two <laughs> molten pieces of plastic. Um, <laughs> so there's that as well. But still, like as you read it, like, yeah, we shouldn't <laughs> be mailing this. We shouldn't be shipping this. You have such a weird job. <laughs> oh, how cool is that? I, I may have smuggled some across state lines uh, personally. So. Well, well, we we don't need we don't we we heard no yeah we heard no crime we saw no crime no crime happened. We'll move on quickly to entering heaven alive while the dog barks upstairs. Uh, hopefully that's not picking up on my end. Sorry, right, James. But, uh, it's charming. 
It's, it's, it's down home Christmas time. Mm-hmm. You are talking to two people here who are dying to know the ins and outs and the ups and downs of the release of Entering Heaven Alive because we love this album so, so much. This I don't think it's a secret that me and Paul, of the two albums, connected a little more to Entering Heaven Alive than we did Fear the Dawn. We love them both, but this one was was great. Uh, can you give us the kind of the lowdown on what were the the negotiations like with independent record stores for the custom vinyl pressings? You had your rough trade mixes and, and releases and all that. And um, what were the boots on the ground reactions to the reception of this record? Uh, whatever you could give us. Yeah, well, I think we all knew that you know, in terms of the positioning, seems like everyone agreed like we had to come with the heavy rock and roll album first. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't start with Entering Heaven Alive and then follow up with Fear of the Dawn. So that was all in agreement. And we also all seem to know and agree just law of diminishing returns that we were going to get less attention and less focus on whatever the second album was, regardless of how good it was. So that was something like we were prepared for and absolutely was was the case. Um, that and yet both were top 10 records. Yeah, absolutely. They, um, If you add it all together, the overall impact of both of those records, pretty damn good. You I mean, remember, it might seem weird to say it in, in the context of with our fans, you know, the people who would listen to this podcast or whatever, but, you know, Jack is over 20 years into his career now and mainstream press attention or focus is not a guarantee. Mainstream press praise is not a guarantee. So anytime it's like, it feels like a success, you know, anytime it's like, yeah, people picked up on it. People liked it. You know, we had a conversation the other day about um, where was it? In Kuala Lumpur, Jack covered Heart Shaped Box live. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of was like a little, it was a little bit moment online. Yeah, that got picked up everywhere. Yeah. And Jack had said, he's like, gosh, that's kind of crazy. People were just like, I think there was an article about it in NME, wrote it up. He's like, God, it seems crazy to me in 2022, an article would be written about an artist just covering a song. about it in my mind I was like you know what part of it is that phones weren't locked up and people could instantly see footage of it so that to me is like the you know one thing I think in my mind um, as someone who personally I'm going to drive the conversation now who was super hands-on and involved with all of the live recordings on nugs thank you thank that, you that, that fell a lot <laughs> good we got a, we got one subscriber james uh, uh, no i'm uh, that's that one i'm on actually i don't subscribe i just buy the albums of the shows i went to what a fucking souvenir man like that's the best thing 
you could ever do for someone who went to a show is give them the goddamn show. Now, here's oh, yeah. here's my little secret that you'll get to know, Ben. I did not intend to go past the free <laughs> subscription. And then they were like, here's here's you got to pay us fifty dollars. OK, I was like, oh, oh, oh <laughs> all right. <laughs> it's great, though. Thank you. Awesome. Well, yeah, my my thought is that this year of shows and that was that was something that I was kind of particularly personally like my quest or my fight, not fight, but uh, took it upon myself to convince the rest of the team. Like, I really think we should do this. I think it'll be good, blah, blah, blah. And part of it is looking at what we are sitting on in archives, which is hundreds of multi-track live recording shows that theoretically we'll never be able to release all of them. Okay. Noted. Mm-hmm. So what if we just, just as an experiment, we, we don't ever have to do this again if we don't want, but let's just do it this year. Let's put everything out. Let's record everything and put it out and see how folks react to that. For me, it's the most engaged I've been with a tour since I've been on a tour. This is since 2000, since Icky Thump is the last time I was on a Jack-related tour. Wow, really? So for me, getting the, yeah, hmm. I got kids to feed, man. I got a big, <laughs> I got a big job. <laughs> so that, um, for me, was great. You know, I have buddies on the crew who'd be like, oh, man, you got to hear you got to hear Blue Orchid in where blah, blah, blah. It was amazing. I was like, oh, wow, that is really great. And so I'd kind of get like little heads ups the night of, of like when the recording comes in, you're going to like this. Um, but also like Jack seemed a little bit more motivated than he had been a long time of just off the cuff covers of just pulling stuff out. What ultimately ended up being that third disc in the, the Vault 54 package. to me is always exciting so the the way the process would work is that the front of house sound guy would make a recording and send that off to engineers at nugs and their their only job was to to cut up okay this is where taking me back uh, ends and fear of the dawn begins and this is where fear of the dawn ends and dead leaves and dirty ground begins and send s- chop it up yeah. mm-hmm. um and they'd send that to me for just like once over approval but these guys aren't like they're not white stripes heads. They don't know the deep shit or whatever. So I'd have to look and be like, okay, there's a, there's probably going to be a, a, you know, if Jack's doing, if he switches to uh, open tuned guitar, there's probably going to be a blues cover in there that they're not expecting that is only identifiable by lyrics. And so I'd have to listen really close and like, hey, uh, there's a cover of them, Baby Please Don't Go in this song. And there's here's a cover of Stooges, I Want to Be Your Dog. Um, and they got better at, at identifying them to the point where, gosh, it's one that hasn't gone live yet. I just listened to this week. I think one of the f- shows from earlier this month, December, 
like a radio promo show. They're both in Florida, maybe. But it's the middle of hardest button to button. And there's just like maybe 30 seconds of Jack singing the lyrics to Talking Heads Psycho Killer. Oh, cool. <laughs> over the hardest button to button beat, which is very similar to, to Psycho Killer. Never sings the chorus, Psycho Killer, whatever. <laughs> but when it came to oh, me, yeah, it they was do have a similarity. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, I can hear it. Yeah. 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 So when, when the files got sent to me, it was already flagged. Psycho Killer was already parted out. And I was like, all right, man, we got there. Like, you guys caught this. Like, I might not have even thought of, like, thinking of, you know, hardest button to button isn't one that usually gets other things interpolated into it. You know, it's not like a, you know, canon or something like that. That to me was just like the fun part. And there'd be moments too where I'd have to, I got it. I tried to like, just for a sense of pride, I tried to make it so I didn't have to ask Jack. <laughs> I'm like, hey, what song is this? <laughs> um, and the most, the, the most interesting part of that was the second show of the tour. So night two in Detroit, in the middle of Seven Nation Army, Jack starts playing this riff. And I'm like, oh God, I know this. This is like some mid 70s like arena rock band that had kind of like a group like i'm like what is it what is it what is it and so when the recording came to me this is whatever the second show so it's still early on in the process i'm like listening and i'm trying to like google the lyrics and i can't put it together and so i finally i'm like what song is this (laughs) like it's at the tip of my tongue like is it some weird thing by spooky tooth or like wishbone ash like what is like some weird deep cut 70s thing and you just like start humming it to yourself all day and jack goes no i just made that up <laughs> and i'm like bullshit you didn't make that up no like that's too good like that's clearly something else and he's like no i made that up so that Man. was like of, of everything that was played because uh, there's lots of impromptu jam, like cool workouts on these live recordings. But that uh, night two at the Masonic, that's how I'm feeling right now, is like my favorite live moment <laughs> of the whole tour, really. And, uh, you know, it's in that same way of like little cream soda of like, oh, you just made this up in the <laughs> middle of the show. You made up this great song. So. <laughs> Like trying to like, I don't know if he has designs on trying to explore it any further, like fingers crossed, you know, 
feel like if I told him you should really do this song, he'd be like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. But like the worst thing to tell an artist is you should do this thing. Right. (laughs) Um, But I, I feel like um, that is definitely of all of having listened. I can't say I've listened to every second of every live recording from this year, but I've definitely listened to, I've sampled through every song. You haven't listened to every second, so you should be ashamed, firstly. And (laughs) I'm kidding, obviously. It did get to a point where like I could, my frame of of approval is I I have a waveform, a visualized waveform on my computer screen. Were you seeing that? I can see it. And I'm like, all right, it looks like about seven minutes into Steady As She Goes, he he does something. Like, let me click to that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He starts doing. dead weather open up that's enough all right cool like me and paul look at so many waveforms we, yeah. we, <laughs> we understand this so intimately because like for a while we were editing ums and uhs out of the show and like just the fuck word and all the other words so we could actually see like when we would which curse it was we would see which um or which uh yeah it's yeah um, but yeah so i'm also getting to like Taking me back, very unlikely any any curveballs are going to be thrown in. Taking me back or fear of the dawn, but then also trying to figure out, okay, is this uh, is this just goofing around? Is this a jam? Is this a, really a cover or what? And you know what's you know sometimes something's labeled as a tease or a reprise, you know, like these different terminologies. And there's other considerations for you know before we involved with nugs, I would just list stuff as medleys or whatever, you know canon slash john the revelator slash take a whiff on me or whatever you know something like that but then it got explained to me like yeah that, that affects how you have to pay publishing royalties yeah um so nugs was like anytime there's a different song it should be a it should be a standalone track it makes it much easier for accounting on our end blah, blah, all that stuff. like oh okay so you don't really want to have like we kind of have moved away in the past year really away from medley labeling uh, mm. If you want some super deep nerd yeah. shit, that's interesting. Yeah. Hey, you know who else covered Psycho Killer this past year was Wet Leg. Oh yeah. My uh, very favorite. Unfortunately, we only have the one album. I mean, obviously, they were out. They were out with him at a. Uh, they they visited Third Man earlier in the year, and then they they were at his last performance uh, on the tour. Uh, live record. You guys can do anything, please. Like they're saving. We offered. <laughs> we offered um, I see. I'm trying to remember if Jack was there or was what. If they were there when Jack was at. There's if, when they were at Third Man with Jack there. There's pictures of them of him with them there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was there. So I remember what it was. Is that I showed him around. There was a cool moment where I showed him 
Jack's airline guitar and it was uh, far more emotional than I expected it would be. They're so um, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they were there and the, the head of their label Domino was there with them. And when Jack kind of said hi and showing around like the lay of the room and the blue room and all that stuff. And Jack's like, yeah, you guys should come and do a live show, blah, blah, blah. And someone else told me later, like, yeah, if you saw the look on the guy from Domino's face when you offered to do a live record, he didn't look too excited about that suggestion. Um, which, you know, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But it was just like, oh, yeah, like you just, you know, talking like like friends and artists talk about, you know, ideas and opportunities. That's different than, uh, you know, there's definitely a business side that needs to be considered, too. That's uh, the Kills label, I think, too. Right, Domino? Yeah, yeah. 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 Domino does a lot of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I can talk about that shit all day. First of all, I also want to say I was very disappointed you didn't include Matthew Jacobson's magic set in the Las Vegas release on Nugs because I looked for that. And I understand that magic in recorded form may not be quite so magical. (laughs) But because there's no phones allowed here, when when it came time to cut to that in our Matthew Jacobson interview, I just had to put in the regular intro. So that was disappointing for me. Yeah, Very it's called upset. sleight of ear, not sleight. Of ear. <laughs> um, the paranoids—they're getting a big push from you guys. It's funny, like days, literal days before my daughter was born, they played out here in Portland at Music Millennium. So I wasn't able to go because we were in the midst of preparing and stuff. But um, my son, rather, was born. Uh, who, who brought the paranoids in? Uh, That's—they're—they're they're getting a big push right now. So we've got a wonderful staffer at Third Man named Megan Loveless, who wears a lot of hats. But that was something that came across her desk, and she kind of ran point on that. And when we do so many records and wear so many hats, you know, things get to your consciousness at a, you know, varies at what stage of the process they get into your consciousness. Yeah. And so I can't remember exactly where it was. It was, you know, before the album's out, but the album is finished. And there was a moment where that first song on the album, BWP, it's hard to describe when you're working in an office and people are all working on, you know, promoting and publicizing and making videos and radio pitches and all this stuff. There's kind of stuff just in the air. Yeah. So like, it wasn't the first time that I heard BWP, but like maybe the first time I sat down and listened to it, it was already familiar, but in a deeper way to the point where I was just like blown away to the point where you feel like, you're 12 years old again. And like, I just want to listen to this song on repeat. Like this song is perfect. It was a perfect modern take on a mid nineties alternative rock and roll song. It just felt like I totally get this.
like the perfect way for me to, to really open my mind and really, really love that band and that album and just like feel so excited about the future potential of what they're up to and what they're doing. BWP also stands for Badass Woman's Playlist. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, I, had, I had to ask, what the hell does BWP yeah. stand for? You're on Urban Dictionary. Um, You're trying not to get canceled. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the 90s making a, a comeback, that alternative sound, the aforementioned wet leg, who, I, I mean, look, obviously James and I are si- sitting here as sycophants on a, hosting a Jack White program, but I think wet leg was like, uh, this year was probably my favorite band this year. Just absolutely that album blew me away. But there's that 90s-ish sound to it, which is odd because I feel like the indie boom skipped completely over alternative <laughs> And mm-hmm. it's sort of interesting to see it come back a bit. Um, yeah. Alternative and grunge and punk are kind of having a resurgence in, in popularity yeah. lately. My new favorite band, Cheek Face, is uh, also uh, very punk related. Anyway. That's right. <laughs> Coffee from the bank. Fritos isn't free. I only want to be with other people like me. Advil, Tylenol, there is no relief. I only want to be with other people like me Let's just assume, for the sake of argument The chapstick causes chap lips And sunscreen causes sunburns And music causes hearing loss And bottled water makes you thirsty And I am just a cat watching another cat on TV I lit a match We'll move on to November We get Tropical Goth Club Which is amazing to finally get some Dean Fertitta work with you guys it's a melodic beat rock fm music with this excellent lp it's so good we love this this stuff so much um, it sounds like if dave dexter got his hands on a nirvana record <laughs> <laughs> uh we really like no wonder dave feeney is contributing up from here from blanche fame can you tell us a little of the backstory on this record so my understanding is that dean is one of these guys that's kind of always getting ideas down, maybe not necessarily with a plan for them, whether it's a demo or just, you know, working something out. And so he pitched, Hey, I got this idea for a record. And the best part and worst part about running a record label is your friends asking you to put out their record, (laughs) especially when you're, you know, when you have a history of being in a band and having lots of friends who are musicians. We could run a label that just put out records by our friends. And that would be probably more than we put out already. So yeah, it's the downside when you've got to, when you've got to kind of like, yeah, we can't really put that out. You know, and that's like, we get asked this all the time, you know, and you got to, you got to pick and choose what seems to feel right. And, you know, feel right is hard to quantify and define, but Tropical Goth Club was one of those like, yeah, 100% this needs to be on third man. It wouldn't make sense anywhere else. Like, we get this. We get you, Dean. That was just like the perfect combo. Again, another artist in in Nashville. Great to have him. We can just kind of like face-to-face shit, you know? I cannot overestimate my my love and appreciation for Dean Fertitta and what he does. Yeah. No.
Well, we were also excited to see some recent shots of all of the dead weather together once more. Does a new Dean Fertitta release on Third Man Signal more? No. Okay, that's fair. He said with a straight face. <laughs> I'm going to tease you guys. Oh, he, he's man. winking. Everybody, he's winking. You can't see it. He's winking at us. <laughs> Shall we lightning round? Yes. Oh, my God. I fucking majored in lightning rounds in college. All right. James, cue the music. Let's do Tiny Tim. Okay. Let's play some Tiny Tim. <laughs> All right. One song you heard this year that blew you away. BWP by the Paranoids. All right. And uh, that's how I'm feeling right now. Jack White live at the Masonic Temple. Excellent. Who's the Primus super fan? Um, maybe, I guess me. <laughs> uh, it was, it, uh, this all came, the Primus fault package came from the idea of Jack said he he was hanging out with Les Claypool and just mentioning that. I was like, oh, I'm going to go check out, I'm going to go to my 45 collection and pull out my Primus singles. And I went, I was like, wait, how do I not have any Primus singles? And then looked back and was like, oh, Primus never put out any singles. And I was like, Jack, can you ask Les if they ever put out a single? And I was like, no, Les said they never put out a single. Okay, let's write this this tragic wrong. Um, <laughs> that's it. That's the, that's the simplified version of that. As a guy who had never listened to any Primus except the South Park theme, I was blown away by how much I enjoyed that. That was awesome. Awesome. Thank you. That is all that is all the praise I need. Yeah. <laughs> uh, personally, because it's all about me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. How many people uh, work on this stuff and are involved? It's like, no, me, for me, 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 me. <laughs> What's one thing you know you want to accomplish at Third Man in 2024? Or 2023, sorry. I sorry. I got that wrong. Paul, you... I was a year ahead, sorry. Um, I want to... Did you say a third man records? Yeah. Or a third man? I just want to. I just want to further. Um, how do you put it into words? I just want to. I want to. I want to further our upward trajectory. There we're we being, go. We're, we're 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 successful, and I want to be more successful. Open a Shanghai location. That's right. <laughs> They're going to be sending more balloons up there. Uh, just look out. I see in the Third Man 2022 holiday collection you have uh, for sale a Happy Holidays card. How long have you been waging a war on Christmas, and how many battles would you say you've won? <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, as a conversation between three uh, white <laughs> males, uh, I don't think no one want, no one cares about the answer to this question. So. Three battles. All right, we're going with three battles, one <laughs> <laughs> Three battles. Hey, not a question. I just love Rich Ruth. I don't know who who was responsible for that one, but that was great. Ben Swank, but one hundred percent. Again, Nashville artist. So great to have him around. Um, love it, and I think people are still discovering that. And shit, what was that? Mojo Magazine number sixteen album of the year. Like ain't, that. That ain't nothing to shake a stick at. It's pretty pretty badass. Yeah, it's great. Uh, we, we know Jack would like us to. Heidi Ho with him, but who would you want to Heidi Ho with yourself? Heidi Ho. Have some of this. See, I think what, is, what does Q-Tip say, though? Have some of this Heidi Ho Heidi with, me. with me. So I think Heidi Ho isn't a, Ooh, isn't a it's not a do. I think it's, it's a, a dish. It's a maybe, I thought it was maybe a dish or a drink. Like, mm. has no nicotine and it's free. Oh, man. 
Do you know fucking lyrics, James? So it's a so it's a <laughs> it's like lean. It might be, it might be like that. Yeah. I mean, any any song that name drops Hakeem Olajuwon. When, when <laughs> part of my job, I have to spell check Hakeem Olajuwon's name. <laughs> Fuck, Fair enough. Very good. If you had to headbang to one track from Fear of the Dawn, what would it be? Um, well, I mean, I did. I had to headbang towards to Fear of the Dawn. I had to, you know. Oh, are you in one of those Jabberwocky yeah. masks? Oh yeah. Oh sh- <laughs> I no idea. I'm the, I'm the drummer. Uh, <laughs> You're the Jumberwocky. I'm the Jumberwocky. <laughs> and uh, after that take, just an idea of how how in shape I am, like. After that final take, I think, you know, or after that, after the take was done, I was really close to throwing up. I was like very, very close to throwing up. <laughs> it's not easy to, to maintain. You were in the of- dirt bombs. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's uh, your favorite track on Entering Heaven Alive? Tree on Fire from Within. Thank you. Sweet. Have we gone? Um, I don't know how on top you guys are of the Nuds recordings, but there is a new arrangement that ended up in Southeast Asia. Have you guys heard this yet? I haven't, but I will listen to it. I, I don't know when exactly it, it's. Uh, it's prior to Kuala Lumpur. I'm not exactly sure when, maybe two shows before that, but there is a, for lack of a better term, a funk arrangement of A Tree on Fire from Within uh, that's pretty remarkable. That's awesome. Uh, Funk, speaking of that episode we did about critical responses, we took every critic review of uh, that we could find of Jack White's solo albums and put them into an AI word cloud to see what kind of words would pop up, and wow. funk was a big one. And you I mean, that's kind of remarkable. It's not something you would probably expect, but, you know, there's there's a little bit of Detroit in all of us. So, you know, it comes out a little bit more so in here. Would you say we've got funky motion? No. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> Paul, have you seen me? I would... <laughs> I was just making... Okay. Um, last one here. Was Jack ever in the running for uh, recording one of the covers on McCartney 3 Imagined, or was that... Completely separate. You guys, you guys weren't talking to MPL by that time. I don't know. Seems like I wouldn't be surprised if he was, but I, I don't definitively know one way or the other. Ben Blackwell, thank you. We love seeing you every year. Unlike Santa Claus, you are uh, the giver of gifts all year round. That lazy son of a bitch only comes around one day. A year, and I got to tell you, I have a bone to... I'm going to start waging a war on Christmas for that reason. I would also like to extend my thanks. Uh, we got to put that cover together for Batman Superman World's Finest, which is great. That'll be out in January. Um, oh, yeah. So that's that's really awesome. Which, by the way, was Rob Jones's idea, unprompted on my part. I reached out to Rob to... Um, I asked him if he just wanted to do a cover. He's like, oh, can we do a Jack thing? I was like, well, sure, but... Anyway, uh, that worked out really great. So, <laughs> That's awesome. also, we apparently made a, an appearance on uh, uh, the last tour poster. So I'm sorry, Ben. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, sorry, Ben. Sorry about <laughs> sorry. that. Um, when we get canceled, you could just snip that out of the poster. Yeah. Just yeah. Um, thank you. You're great. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for for all you do. I should start listening. <laughs> 
Uh, now that I don't have, now that I don't have, you know, ten live shows to listen to every week and make sure that the, the proper song separations are there, maybe I can finally listen to your podcast. I well, can I give you a list of the good ones. You know, I'll just yeah, tell me which it's ones short. It's love. short. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, uh, here's something I don't think we've ever done with you, Paul. I don't. Oh fuck! Don't yeah, we, we haven't have. done this. Yeah, that's right. Every episode we end the show by saying, "In the spirit of Bull Weevil, where we would like to find a home." We go back and we say, uh, "So I'll be looking for a home in, uh, let's say, a Primus singles box set." And I would be looking for a home in a tropical goth club, watching a tree blaze from within. Whoa, Ben, where will you? be looking for a home i will be looking for a home it's a weird exercise guys this yeah. is, yeah, it is. It this is, is the first it? time we've ever stumped someone with this no, I'll, I'll be uh looking for a home i'll, I'll take it back to nugs I'll, t- I'll be looking for a home near the gordy howe bridge wow all oh. right uh, deep reference see who can figure it out okay <laughs> Love it. Thanks, Ben. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. My pleasure. The Third Man Podcast was created, edited, and produced by Paul and James Kaminsky. Our theme song, We're the Third Men, was recorded by the band Radkey, who can be found at radkey.net. To contact the show, visit thirdmenpodcast.com or email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com also visit at the third men underscore podcast on instagram at third men cast on twitter and search the third men on facebook thanks to our patreon patrons to everyone who has rated reviewed and subscribed and see you next time Got it. Hold on. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Another family member who cleaned up before the big podcast call. (laughs) No, I just wanted to go in a basement to really get a dungeon aesthetic for you. Um, This is what this is the this is the visual I have whenever they say he was making bombs in the basement without anyone knowing. No, no, no. I am hacking. I'm a hacker. In the basement. Kaczynski, Kaminsky, it's pretty close. (laughs) Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process. And we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough. But if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right, it's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast, and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody, I'll see you on the show. 
And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. I don't know where she threw my phone. Either. It's not a video interview that's going to play as a video interview. There you go. Yet. <laughs> into the Blackwell House. 